I, I think most of y'all know uh, that, that know me and have talked with me and have have stopped by my office. I, th- I think that you know how much I love to read. Uh, I, I think you can tell by the way that the books are um, not exactly in the most pristine order on my shelves. I think you can tell that they're not just there for looks. They're there that they are there because I, I love to read. And if you've been to my house, you've certainly seen how just what a mess my bookshelves are at home and and the library and all that kind of stuff. That doesn't include the books that I have stacked on uh, next to my easy chair at the house. I got a stack there. I got a stack on the nightstand. I got books everywhere. I, I've got so many books that um, <laughs> every time that a new book shows up at the house, uh, Miranda just at a minimum she rolls her eyes. <laughs> she. Uh, She's tried to tell me, she's tried to set up this deal with me that any time that a new book comes in, an old one has to go out. That ain't going to happen. <laughs> There's no way that that's going to happen. Now, several, that's the reaction that Miranda gives me when, when new books come in. But several years ago, my whole family had a completely different reaction when a new book arrived. That was a book by a guy named Mortimer Adler. And the title of the book, it's a book about that thick, and the title of the book is How to Read a Book. I can't tell you how they made fun of me. They thought that was the most ridiculous thing to get a book on how to read a book. They were like, well, if you know how to read, then you don't need a book to teach you how to read. And if you don't know how to read, then how are you going to read that whole thing? And they just made fun of me to, to no end about that. Well, I know that title sounds silly. But that book was really, really helpful to me. And I'd highly recommend it to anybody who wants to become a, a serious reader or a better reader. It's just a, it's just a wonderful book. It was written originally back in the 40s, and it's just been a beneficial book throughout the time that I've had it and through the several times that I've read it. So I'd highly recommend it. But here's the thing. When I ordered that book and when I got that book, I already knew how to read. <laughs> Thankfully, Right. I already knew how to read. Over my lifetime, I'd read hundreds of books and magazines and, you know, blog posts, articles. I'd read hundreds of those things. I already knew how to read. So why in the world did I need a book to teach me how to do something that I already knew how to do? Well, to be frank about it, I didn't know until I read it. I got it on a recommendation from somebody else and I read it. But once I read it and learned to apply what I read, it absolutely revolutionized my reading. Now, it might be ambitious for me to think that, to think this, but that's what I hope happens to all of us this morning. Not about reading, but about listening to sermons. Now, I know that, <laughs> that when some of y'all saw that sermon title this morning, if you saw it on the, uh, on the, the, Website, or if you saw it somewhere ahead of time before you came, or if you just saw it when you came in here, I'm sure you might have thought, um, I've listened to sermons my whole life. What are you going to tell me that I don't know about listening to sermons? I, I think I know what I'm doing. There doesn't take a whole lot of qualifications to be able to listen to a sermon. So why do I need this? Well, honestly, I don't blame you for thinking that. And I certainly don't want to patronize you. There's nothing worse than somebody, you know, patting you on the head and 
oh, you really don't know what you're doing, so I'm, I'm going to teach you, you poor people. I don't want to do that. I don't want to patronize you. I don't want to patronize any of us here. But our passage this morning, I believe, gives us the best blueprint that I know in, in all of Scripture for how to listen to a sermon. So let's read this passage again, <clears throat> just to get it fresh in our minds, starting in verse 10 of Acts chapter 17. The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Now those Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Many of them therefore believed with not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. But when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was pro- proclaimed by Paul at Berea also, they came there too, agitating, stirring up the crowds. Then the brothers immediately sent Paul off on his way to the sea. But Silas and Timothy remained there. Those who conducted Paul brought him as far as Athens, and after receiving a command for Silas and Timothy to come to him as soon as possible, they departed. When, when things started to get heated in Thessalonica, you remember we're in Thessalonica last week. When things started to get heated in Thessalonica, the church thought that it was best to send off Paul and Silas and then later on to send Timothy on down the road to this place called Berea. Now you can follow along on the map that's inside your bulletin. That's the reason that I put it in there so that you can follow along where we are. Berea was a town that was basically about 45 miles southwest of Thessalonica. So as the text says, they left in the they left in the night. So if they left in the middle of the night and walked all through the night and through the next day, they would have gotten to Berea sometime around the afternoon or sometime around the evening of the next day. You remember when we talked about Thessalonica, that Thessalonica was it was a bustling port city. So it was uh, it was active. It was a it was a major city. It was a, it was an active, involved city. It was a very important port city. And then before that, before Thessalonica, back when they were in Philippi, Philippi wasn't a port city, but it was a very influential city. The Bible says that it was a leading city in Macedonia. So they'd come from these very important cities, these very influential, these very strategic cities, to this place called Berea. Berea wasn't like that at all. Berea wasn't significant. I mean, it wasn't like a little rural podunk town, but it wasn't a significant strategic city at all. Now, it was along that same Ignatian way that, uh, that Philippi and Thessalonica were on. So it was on that, that major highway. But just because a town is on the interstate doesn't mean that it's necessarily a strategic or important town, right? And that's the way that Berea was. People from Philippi and Thessalonica probably would have seen Berea the same way that people from Richmond look at Bluefield. (laughs) You ever thought about that? You know how the the people at Richmond seem to think that the state stops at Roanoke? (laughs) That's basically the way that the people at Thessalonica and Philippi would have thought about Berea. You know, it was a town of decent size. It was a town on on the Ignatian Way, but it just wasn't significant. It wasn't significant at all. But notice how the Bible describes these people in this insignificant, unstrategic town. The Bible describes them as noble. Matter of fact, it describes them as more noble than the people from the strategic city of Thessalonica. 
Now, I don't think that that was, a, was some sort of a slam on the people that were in Thessalonica, because if you remember however many months ago or a couple of years ago when we studied through the books of First and Second Thessalonians, Paul loved the church at Thessalonica. That was, I think it was one of his favorite churches. As a matter of fact, when he wrote those two letters to them, there, there wasn't a whole, really there wasn't any criticism like he had uh, for the other churches that he wrote to. So the church at Thessalonica was a, was a good church. Paul loved that church. They were a sweet church. But these folks in this new church at Berea, they were a little, they were different. They were more noble than the folks at Thessalonica. It certainly wasn't because of where they were from. It certainly wasn't because of their bloodline. It certainly wasn't because of any external things like that. So why were they more noble than the folks that Paul loved from Thessalonica? What was, what was so special about them? Well, verse 11 tells us, and that's really where we're going to focus our time here this morning. Look at verse 11 again. And I don't know if you highlight in your Bibles, but this is one of those verses that's, I think, worthy of highlighting. Verse 11 says, Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the Scriptures daily to see if these things were so. There's three reasons that the Berean church folks were more noble than the church folks from Thessalonica, from the church at Thessalonica. The first reason is that they received the word eagerly. When We've seen this enough. We know what Paul's pattern was when he was going to these different towns, these different synagogues, or these different towns. The first place that he would typically enter was a Jewish synagogue. That was his practice to go there first. The reason that he would go to the Jewish synagogue first was because they were the ones that had the Old Testament Scripture. They always had a, a scroll with the Old Testament Scripture there, and they were always uh, openly reading from that Old Testament Scripture. So they were familiar with the Bible. But when Paul would go into these synagogues, he would take the Bible and he would open it up to them. He, he would take that scroll, he would take the Old Testament Scriptures that they were so familiar with, and he would expose them to Jesus through the Old Testament. In other words, his preaching was exposing the Word. You've heard me say it many times about the kind of preaching that we do here. It's expository preaching. That's just a fancy way of saying that we're exposing what Scripture really says. We're not making things up or getting on hobby horses or any of those kinds of things. It's expositional. It's expository. Even later on when when Paul and his compatriots were kicked out of the synagogues, or even if there wasn't a synagogue in town, they would gather the people together in a particular place and do the same thing, expose the Scriptures to them. The location would change, but the method, what they were doing, never changed. The method was always biblical exposition authoritatively proclaimed. In other words, the person was proclaiming it as this is God's Word. God has spoken to us in His Word. And it's proclaimed with that kind of authority. Now the task of preaching wasn't just given to anybody. 
Paul or one of his apprentices, one of his close companions, one of his disciples were the ones that were always preaching. In other words, it wasn't a free-for-all. It wasn't left as just a bunch of people that would spout their opinions about it. It wasn't left open to whoever mysteriously received some sort of a word from the Lord for everybody. It was done by somebody specifically called by God and prepared for the task. So here's what preaching looked like in Berea. And here's what it should look like in Bluefield. Preaching happened in a place where the people were gathered together for the purpose Preaching happened as a monologue delivered to a group of people by one man who was uniquely called by God, qualified, and gifted for the purpose. The message preached was always the exposition, illustration, and application of the Bible, of Scripture. It wasn't a collection of sentimental stories. I, I know sentimental stories, man, they're fun to listen to, aren't they? You know, somebody gets up and tells tearjerker stories or things like that. I've heard people describe uh, some preachers as skyscraper preachers. You know what a skyscraper preacher is? Story upon story upon story upon story upon story upon story. Now those are, those tickle our ears, don't they? But that's not what preaching is. It's not what biblical preaching is. Now, biblical preaching isn't the spouted opinions of, of a commentator. We get enough of that on TV, don't we? Preaching isn't the rantings of a, of a political partisan. Preaching isn't the sales pitch of a motivational speaker. It was the exposition, illustration, and application of the Bible. And when the Berean church heard that, they received it. But not only did they receive it, they received it eagerly. E- even though it wasn't entertainment that Paul was bringing to them, they, they longed for it. They, they longed for the meat of the Word. Even though it wasn't self-help pop psychology, they soaked it in for their own benefit. Even though it was more like chewy meat than fluffy cotton candy, oh, they loved to feast on it. It, it was, I, I can get the picture, you know, I, when, I, when I read Scripture, sometimes I, my imagination goes and I, I get pictures in my mind. I, I get the picture that the church of Berea, when they were hearing Scripture proclaimed, it was as if they were on the edge of their seat, just waiting for the next word just eager to hear it. They were eagerly anticipating, hearing, not from Paul, but from God. From God Himself, because He's the one who gave us His Word. Are you that eager? Not to hear from me, but to hear from the proclaimed Word of God. You come here with that kind of anticipation of the preaching of His Word, or do you just come here because that's what you're supposed to do and you just endure it? 
You know, it's amazing how much better I sound when you're eager to hear it. And I tell you what, the probably one of the, I don't know, it's, it's a, I guess the preacher, one of the preacher's curses is, not curse words, one of the, <laughs> one of the preacher's curses. You know, the one I was on when, when Miranda and I were on uh, vacation those couple of weeks, we, we went to a couple of different churches from some different, different friends of ours, different acquaintances and things. One of the things as a preacher, when you do this regularly, one of the things that's so difficult that I have to pray about is when you listen to somebody else, especially if they're preaching a text that you've already preached, sit back and think, I wouldn't have done it that way. And instead of being eager, instead of eagerly anticipating hearing from God through His Word, through the mouthpiece, it's so easy to sit back and be critical, right? It's amazing how much better a preacher sounds when we're eager to hear, not from Him, but from God. Amen? Is that how you come here? You want to make me a better preacher? Thank you for holding down the amens. If you want to make me a better preacher, then receive the word eagerly. Also examine the scriptures daily. Verse 11 goes on to say that the Bereans were more noble than the Thessalonians because they examined the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. In other words, they eagerly received Paul's preaching. They eagerly received the word that, that Paul was exposing to them. But at the same time, they held their Bible to make sure that what he was saying was actually what Scripture says. And we got, we got to be, we got to be honest about this. We got to be frank about this. There is a lot of junk out there these days, not just these days. There's a lot of junk out there that passes for preaching. And if you're not continually immersing yourself in Scripture, it's easy to get fooled. Because there's a lot of stuff, man. These guys are good. I, I, I watch some of them and I think, man, if I could just talk like that, if I had teeth like Joel Osteen, if I could smile like that boy, right? And, and you look at that and you think, oh, and it's so easy to listen to, and they're so good and so fluid and so dynamic and so have so much charisma when they speak. But if it doesn't match this, then it's a wolf. Right? By and large, you know, there's a lot of junk on network TV. There's a lot of terrible stuff on Netflix and Hulu and all the streaming services. And cable TV has some awful stuff. But I think the absolute worst stuff on TV is some of the stuff that p- passes as preaching. It's more dangerous. That doesn't give us an excuse to watch the other stuff. But I think it... It should warn us. It should warn us. Just because somebody quotes a verse or two doesn't mean that they're preaching the Word. You have the responsibility to take any preaching or teaching that you hear back to the Bible and make sure that it's true. 
You have an individual responsibility to do that, and we have a corporate responsibility to do that. <laughs> Not too long ago, I, I had a had a preacher friend tell me, when he asked, he said, well, what, what do you all do on Sunday nights? And I told him about our New Life gatherings where we come together and we take the morning's text and and I explain how the points came out of came out of the passage and I ask y'all did you see it there do you have any questions do you have any concerns about it and we just opened it up and discuss it and I was telling him that that's what we do on Sunday nights and he looked at me and said are you crazy so you mean that you open it up so that people can question you on your preaching I said I better I better because if I'm scared to do that I think I'd be crazy not to do that. And I think that you're, that you're crazy when you don't take advantage of that. I want to teach you. It's my responsibility to teach you to examine the Bible to make sure that what you hear is what God is saying in His Word. It's my job to teach you to provide the opportunity. I can't drag you there. But it's my job to provide the opportunity to teach you to be a discerning listener. I want you to make sure that my words match the text. And you need to make sure that my life matches my words. Because either way, it's false teaching, right? I don't want you to swallow theological poison just because the guy talking to you washes it down your throat with sweet stories and tasty presentation skills. But you need to notice something about the order here. First, they received the word eagerly. Then they examined the Scriptures daily. See, we can take this to an unhealthy extreme. If you take it to an unhealthy extreme, then you are always sitting listening saying, where's the theological holes? We're listening as a skeptic, right? And we're not called to listen as a skeptic. Paul says that they were more noble because they eagerly received what Paul was telling them. Then they weighed it against Scripture to make sure it was true. We, we don't go in with our theological framework and our, our bibli vast biblical knowledge laid out there on the table to say, hmm, where's this guy going to screw up? Right? That's not receiving the word eagerly. We receive the word eagerly and then we see... We examine the Scripture daily. They went, in the word, they went into it looking to hear from God through Paul. Then they evaluated what they'd received. We start with preaching the text on Sunday morning. And then on Sunday evening, we gather to make sure that what we said is true. Right? There's intentionality in that order. Want me to be a better preacher? And receive the preached word eagerly and examine scriptures daily to make sure what I say is true. But it doesn't stop there. 
because you need to respond to what you've heard. Look at verse 12. Verse 12 says, many of them, therefore, and when you see that, therefore, they believed because they did those things before. Many of them, therefore, believed with not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. So no matter what social strata, they believed what they heard. See, this is not an academic exercise. Preaching is not so that we can get our heads filled up with all kinds of knowledge. There's a, there's a preacher that uh, says we're always in danger of becoming Christian tadpoles. When, when we just come and treat it as an academic exercise, there's a danger that our heads, you know how tadpoles shape, right? Great big giant heads and little bitty tiny bodies that don't go anywhere. No, no, we, we have to apply. We have to believe what we hear. We don't just listen to preaching so that we can answer all the, all the Bible Jeopardy questions. We don't just listen to preaching to fill our heads with knowledge. And we certainly don't come and listen to preaching so that we can somehow curry favor with God. Oh, you know, I, I, I listen to, I listen to all these preachers so surely. Surely I'm good with God because of that. No, we don't do that. No, you listen to preaching so that you can believe what the Bible says and act out your belief. It's about who we're to become. It's about transforming us into Christ's likeness. There's an old, um, I, I thought it was a prayer, but it really comes from a hymn that was written back in the 40s by a man named Hudson Pope. And I love this. I want to find the music. I want us to to learn it and do it. It's just a little chorus. It says, Make the book live to me, O Lord. Show me thyself within thy word. Show me myself. Show me my Savior. And make the book live to me. I love that. We're going to learn that. We're going to just have to make up the music. (laughs) Make the book live to me. Show me myself. And show me my Savior. That's why we listen to the preached Word of God. We listen so that God's Spirit will point us to Jesus. We listen so that our thoughts and our intents would be exposed, so that our sinful hearts will be exposed before His Spirit and so that we'll be changed by His grace. We listen so that we'll be transformed into the very likeness of Christ Himself. You know, you hear people describe why they go to church, and they use so many different terms. Well, you know, I just need the rough edges of my life knocked off. Well, you know, I I need to get my batteries charged so I can make it through the week. We we don't just listen for those things. Now, they might be good side benefits, like medication has side effects. Those might be good side effects. We don't, we don't just come to listen to preaching so that we'll have a how-to list so that we can get our finances in order or get a how-to list so we can get our, our family life in order. Those are good side effects. Those are good benefits, but that's not the primary reason that we listen to preaching. When I think about listening to preaching, it reminds me of the time when some men came to Philip, and it's described in John chapter 12, verse 21. Some men 
came to Philip. And when they came to Philip, they didn't ask for his commentary. They didn't ask for his wise words. They didn't ask for his pontificating about politics or the economy or any of those things. No, they had one request. They said, Philip, show me Jesus. Sir, we wish to see Jesus. And that should be the request on your heart as you come in this door every Sunday. Pastor Jim, we want to see Jesus. Amen? That's what we long for. We long to see Jesus exposed to us from His Word. That is our objective when we listen to preaching. We want to see Jesus, and when we see Jesus, we will never be the same. So you can't truly see Jesus and go home unchanged. You you can't truly see Jesus and continue in apathy and indifference. You have to respond. When you see Jesus, you have to believe. You have to go and do and be and live and love like He calls us to. Is that how you respond when you hear the Word preached here every Sunday? Or do you just tuck it away in the informational trivia file in the back of your brain and maybe occasionally pull it out every once in a while when you think it might be helpful to you? How should you listen to a sermon? How can you make me a better preacher? Receive the Word eagerly. Examine the Bible daily to make sure that what I say is true. And when you hear it, believe and respond by acting on what you've heard. Now, before we go, I'm going to give you five quick practical steps that you can take to make you a better listener. Now, you might want to get a pen and you might want to write these down. These are these will be helpful to you. The first thing that you need to do to become a better listener is you need to pray. You need to pray. Before you come in here, before you come on a Saturday night or even Sunday morning, before you come into this place to hear preaching, before you hear any preaching, you need to pray for yourself. You need to pray that the Holy Spirit will prepare. See, the Holy Spirit is the one who inspired this word. The Holy Spirit is the one who illumines the preacher, uh, opens the preacher's eyes to the text. And the Holy Spirit is active in the preaching act. He's going to open your heart and open your eyes. So you need to pray that he would do that. Pray that he would prepare you to receive the word that you're going to hear. Pray that he would prepare you to be able to look past all the things that so easily want to distract us from hearing God's Word. Pray that He will show you yourself and show you your Savior. Pray. Pray for yourself. Also pray for your church family. Pray that the church would be built up through the preaching of this Word. Not just in numbers, but would be edified, would be built up. Pray that this church would be unified in receiving the Word and pray that this church would be eager to act on and apply the word that you hear. Pray for yourself, pray for your church, and pray for your pastor. Pray that I will be faithful to preach this text.
and nothing else. Pray that I will experience the, the, the old timers used to call it the anointing and the unction of the Holy Spirit. You can look those up, Google those words if you want to. But I love those descriptions. Pray that I would receive, experience the anointing and the unction of the Holy Spirit as I preach. And pray that I'll preach with freedom and with passion. Pray that my, pe- my, that my preaching will feed the sheep and run off the wolves. I, I don't... Um, I long for everyone who comes in here and sits under the preaching of the Word to stay and to be part of our family, but only if they will bow their knees to Jesus and be changed. If and when, and it's happened over the past four years, people come in and they sit and they enjoy the fellowship, they enjoy the family, but they're convicted by the Word and they refuse to change, they refuse to bow their knee to Jesus, and then all of a sudden we don't see Him anymore. Um, the Word's going to have two responses. It's going to feed the sheep or it's going to run off the wolves. I pray that the wolves are converted, become sheep. But if they won't be converted, then they need to be run off. So pray that that will happen. Pray that my preaching will feed the sheep and will run off the, words, run off the wolves. And pray that I will always live what I preach. Pray. That's the first thing you need to do. The second thing you need to do is you need to prepare. It's easy to say we're going to pray, but now we're getting into tough stuff, right? Think about it. If you had a big inspection or something like that coming up at work, or you had a big a big final test and your whole grade depended on this test at school, you'd prepare for it ahead of time, wouldn't you? You, you wouldn't just walk in and say, well, you know, I'm just trusting the Lord. Well, you might, but you're only going to do that once. There's a whole lot of people that will spend more time preparing for a vacation than they spend preparing to hear from the creator of the universe. Prepare by getting to bed on time on Saturday night. I told you I was going to say, somebody's going to say, Nobody wants to say amen, but some of you might say, ouch. Right? See, it's hard enough to stay awake when I preach. Amen? But you don't have a chance if you stay up late on Saturday night. Watch your movies, play your ball games, go to your ball games, watch your ball games, play your video games, do all of that stuff. Go to the drive-in, whatever you're going to do, do it on Friday night. And prepare yourself for worship on Saturday night. I know that there are exceptions. But as a rule, go to bed on Saturday night. And get up on time Sunday morning. When you get up, don't get up at the last, you know, after the 15th snooze button or whatever. And you're running around the house like a crazy person. You got screaming kids and where's my Bible and where's, where's, huh, uh, you know, you're trying to do your envelope, trying to do you all of that stuff. And you run out of the door and you come screeching in here at, at right about the time the prelude's over and, and you don't catch your breath until the offertory. I'm, I'm preaching to me too. 
Get up and get up on time. Get some breakfast before you come. Sugar crash will aid in that sleepiness. So get some breakfast. Drink your coffee. Get plenty of caffeine. Go to the bathroom before the service starts. Amen. I'm nagging, I know. But it's true. But those are not the only things that you need to do to prepare. One of the beauties of the kind of preaching that we do here, this systematic expositional preaching, is that you know exactly where we're going to be next Sunday. We we finished off, we're finishing off this morning with verse 15. Where do you suppose we're going to start next Sunday? Hey, that's not hard, is it? And if you're really confused and you're just slow on the uptake and you don't quite get it, then look at the bottom of the front page of your bulletin, and it's written in there what next week's passage is going to be. So sometime this week, maybe even several times this week, you can go through and read that. And as you read it, and once again, it's not just a duty thing that, you know, check it off, I'm done. When you read it and you read next week's passage, hey, we're going to be in Athens. And, man, Paul is doing some stuff here and he's doing some talking to some folks here. And so ask questions of the text. See if you can predict what my sermon's going to be. That'll make me a better preacher, right? See if you can, if you can figure out what the sermon's going to look like. Ask questions. Take notes and ask questions of the text and see if they're answered. And if they're not answered in the sermon, then come back Sunday night and ask those questions. Hey, preacher, why didn't you talk about the poetry that Paul was speaking about? Right? So that's part of preparation. Read ahead, study ahead, make your own outline, bring it with you, come to church prepared. Third thing is you need to participate. Participate. I thought this was a monologue, right? (laughs) It is. But even though it's a monologue, you still need to participate. Participate by bringing your Bible. If you don't have a Bible, then get the one out of the back of you, take it home, and guess what? You've got a Bible. Bring it with you. Bring your Bible and keep it open to the passage. Now, I know that's one of the things that I have... Um, I've always been concerned about, about us having the text on the screen. I, I, I do it, and, I, I, and there's benefit to that. But I don't ever want us to get lazy and depend on that. We need to have our own Bible open in front of us. And if it's a device or, you know, your iPad or what, I don't care. If it is, turn your notifications off, Right? Because you don't need to be having distractions. There's enough distractions, right? Have your Bible open in front of you. And when you have your Bible open in front of you, and I'm talking, and the Holy Spirit brings to mind another text, (laughs) turn to it. Look it up. You'll catch up in the sermon. Use your Bible. You know, I, I love to hear you say amen, and I, I love to hear you say amen so much I beg for it. Amen? amen. <laughs> but you know what I like to hear more than that?
That's the sweetest sound that a pastor can hear, that this pastor can hear, is you using your Bible. So, yeah, you can turn louder. <laughs> but that's the sweetest sound ever. So you participate by keeping your Bible open. Participate. You can also participate by taking notes. Now, I've got to admit, I'm, I'm not a great note taker. Even when I do discipline myself to take notes, nobody else would understand them except me. But it's a good discipline to have. When I do take notes, I benefit from it. I'm not talking about, you know, perfect outline notes or anything like that, something that's going to make you pass the final. But even if it's writing off in the margin of your Bible, the cross-reference verses, something. Take notes. Here's a suggestion. And we did this before we started the book of Acts. If any of you, if any of your memory goes back that far, um, I, I've let it be known that we could order some... They're called journables. They're little notebooks that has on the spine, I mean, they're hardcover books, and on the spine it says what book we're going through, and then each passage is written in there with blank spaces under it to take notes. Now, a few of you um, ordered those, and, and that's great. But whether you order those or not, think about the value As we preach through these books of the Bible, think about the value. If you take notes every week and you write down comments every week, then you can put that little notebook on your bookshelf. And the next time that you read through the book of Acts or the book of First or Second Thessalonians or First Peter or Hebrews or uh, Joel or Nehemiah or any of the books that we preach through, you have your own personalized commentary to go through. It will aid in your own Bible study. So keep a notebook. Another way that you can participate during sermon is to pray. We already talked about prayer. I'm talking about praying during the sermon. Now I've got to admit, I am probably the least coordinated person you've ever met in your life. There's a reason that when I'm up here singing, that you don't ever see me clapping my hands. It's not because I'm opposed to it. If I had that much coordination, I'd be doing it all the time. But I can't clap and sing at the same time. I just can't. I'm not coordinated. But I can tell you this, that as I'm preaching, I'm praying. So you're coordinated enough to do the same thing as I'm preaching. Pray through those things that you're praying for before you got here. Pray for me. Pray for each other. Don't you know, probably not a good prayer to Lord. Um, w- would you make that kid hush? That's probably <laughs> that's probably not a good one. But if you're distracted by a noise or something going on, a good prayer would be Lord, help me focus. Amen. So pray. Pray, prepare, participate, and practice. Ever heard the old saying, practice what you preach? I'm telling you to practice what you hear. Talk about the sermon with your family or with other people. You know, there's all these stories about people that 
have the preacher for lunch or have church for lunch. You know, when you go home and you talk about all the things that went on that you didn't like or something, I, I really don't get the impression, I don't get the feeling that that happens here. I, I don't. But what you can do is around the lunch table or around the dinner table, talk about what you heard. Talk about the passage. Talk about how the Lord convicted you. Take the message that was preached inside these walls. Take it outside these walls. Take the Sunday morning message through your Monday through Friday. Take it with you. Finally, you need to persevere. This is probably one of the most difficult. That's why I listed it last. You know, we systematically preach through the Bible every week. That means that you need to do your best to be here every week. You know, through in the beginning of the message, I brought to mind what we talked about in Thessalonica before they got to Berea. And we talked about a little bit about what happened in Philippi before they got to Thessalonica, before they got to Berea. If you're not here every week, you're missing. You're missing chunks of the Word. You're missing chunks of the text. Very rarely will your life be transformed by one magnificent sermon. But your life will be transformed by persevering through a lifetime of faithful Bible preaching. Just compare it to your physical life, right? Your physical life, you can probably, if you think really hard, you can probably pick out four or five magnificent meals that you've had in your lifetime. I Right now I'm thinking of one when I was doing a job in Italy. Man, it was shellfish and pasta and poof. Man, that was amazing. But did that change my life? You know what changed my life? Was breakfast, lunch, and dinner every day of my life cooked by that woman right there, cooked by my mother, every day of my life. Now, can I go back and think, well, what did I have for breakfast in 1982? October 7th of 1982. No, I can't. Sorry. (laughs) But it's the systematic, regular nutrition of everyday meals that grow us into the healthy, some of us healthier, adults that we are. Why would we expect different from God's Word? We love it, and you know we we can hear a message, and we can think, "Oh man, I heard I heard Adrian Rogers preach a message that was just amazing." That's not what's going to change your life. What's going to change your life is persevering through sometimes long, systematic, regular exposition of the Scriptures. We need to persevere. 
We preach the Bible here every week for a reason. And we do it so that we as a church family can gather and enjoy a nutritious Bible meal together every week. So how can you make yourself a better listener? How can you make me a better preacher? Pray, prepare, participate, practice, and persevere. All that I'm asking you to do today is commit to those five things.